Hello and welcome to another episode of Industry Matters. The topic on the table today is patient collections and here to talk about that with me is Jennifer Leon. Jennifer is the Vice President of Patient Collections at Brighttree. Jennifer, thank you so much for making the time to be on the show today. Sure, thanks for having me. Jennifer, before we get started, just in case any of my listeners are unaware, I'd like to start by talking a bit about Brighttree and about you. Can you tell us about Brighttree and then tell us a little bit about your role there? Brightree is a business management solution, and um, we provide end-to-end solutions for the post-acute care space. I specifically manage the patient collections division, and we provide DME providers billing and collection services through traditional invoicing and or monthly statements. We will send out the monthly statement from the initial data service all the way through to bad debt collections if needed. Aside from traditional mailing, though, we also have provided 800-plus customers out there an automated solution through having the capabilities of saving a card on file, uh, as well as a patient billing portal where their patients can become a bit more self-sufficient, managing their own account online. And then lastly, we also provide a lockbox service that allows those patient payments that are being made from the bills going out to be streamlined back into um, automatic posting a bit faster than if they were going through traditional mail. All right, Jennifer. So we're here to talk about patient collections, and I feel like there's been a lot of chatter about this particular topic recently, and a lot of my listeners are probably wondering why that is exactly. So it seems obvious on the face of it that if you want to stay in business, you need to get paid for the products and services that you're providing Why is it that this particular topic is so hot and so relevant right now? We all know that insurance has changed for the consumer. We all know that patient out-of-pocket costs have tripled in the last 10 years. And we're also seeing a lot more high-deductible plans out in the market, which means that the, the patient is going to be responsible for a lot more than what they were 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. And personally, on this side of, of the fence, I've witnessed 100 plus providers since 2017 that either went out of business due to bankruptcy because they just did not have the proper funds coming in, the cash flow uh, to support their business, or they were purchased by larger providers. Wow. And I think that that number right there, 100 plus providers in two years, is exactly why this topic should be relevant. In order to drive this point home, Jennifer, before we got in front of the microphone, you were sharing some pretty staggering statistics with me, and I'd like you to share those with my listeners so that they can understand just exactly how big an issue this is. Sure. Take, for example, you know, if the patient cannot uh, pay their balance and, you know, right up front and you have to bill and chase them, it's going to be four times more expensive to pursue that patient debt collection than it is to receive a payer reimbursement. Healthcare bankruptcies are more than tripling, right? And that even includes DME. We cannot simply depend on the patients to pay their bill or have these promises to pay their bill anymore by sitting out bills and then chasing those balances later. It can take up to a month or longer to collect those balances if the provider is not making a secure uh, and very strong upfront collection policy known and in place with their business. Something to think about is 50% of all patient financial responsibility goes uncollected, even smaller balances. 
If the patient can't pay even the smallest amount each month, they're not going to. So if providers are not securing a form of payment up front, then the chances of that balance getting going unpaid is very likely. We also have seen that providers are still allowing their patients to walk out the door without even paying a dime. Lastly, I want the listeners to just chew on this statistic that I found recently, is it is four times more expensive to pursue patient debt collections than it is to receive a payer reimbursement. And I think that we're all kind of stuck in, in the opposite mode where it might be more expensive to collect from those commercial payers than the patient, but it's actually quite the opposite. If we're going to talk about the patient as payer and providers need to begin thinking about how they're going to navigate that transition, Jennifer, how can they get started? You mentioned having policies in place. Uh, you talked a little bit uh, get, while giving these statistics about communication with the patient. How can providers get started on the right foot when asking their patients to pay them what they're owed? The first thing and the most critical aspect of developing a strong policy is they really have to recognize that the patients are now considered a payer, as you had mentioned, right? Patients are payers. And I think that providers are still stuck in this mindset that they're simply patients. And while they're there to take care of them and provide them the services that enables them to live a healthier and longer life, they are at the end of the day a patient as well as a consumer. I recently read that patients are responsible for more than a quarter uh, of healthcare revenue. Uh, this means that you know providers are going to have a lot of challenges if they're not fully engaged in that current collections process. So the first thing I always encourage providers to do is take a look inside what's happening internally with your staff. Are they setting the expectation with the patient that they're going to owe something for the services being rendered? If they are not, then providers really need to set forth a strong internal policy and make sure that's communicated amongst all of the departments. People assume that patient collections takes place in the billing department. It actually doesn't even reside there anymore, if you will. It really resides at intake. So at intake, when the patient is being educated on their rental machine or being delivered their piece of equipment or even prior to being delivered, right, on the phone when the intake specialist is calling the patient to verify their insurance and verify their address and, and possibly even verify the time they can come in and see a respiratory therapist, that's when the expectation needs to be set. And if that organization doesn't have that policy in place to start, then the whole collections process is going to crumble because then they're going to be stuck in this bill and chase mode and they're going to let the patient walk out the door without setting the expectation that they owe something for those for that equipment and or those services rendered. But so from the patient's perspective, what about my insurance, Jennifer? I mean, if I'm if I'm a patient and I'm coming to you for services, my expectation is that my insurance is going to cover it, right? Tell tell me a little bit about expectations from the patient's perspective and why that's important for my listeners to understand. Sure. And, and you're right, Brian. Patients believe that if they have insurance, it's going to cover everything. They, they kind of walk around with a sense of entitlement, right? Because I have insurance. But 
as I mentioned earlier in the recording, that we just can't rely on insurance to pay as much as what we have been accustomed to. And insurance doesn't cover everything. There's Everybody needs to go into it with the expectation that they're going to have a copay or a deposit for a piece of equipment or a deductible that's going to come due. So I think healthcare in general has taught us that lesson, uh, including myself. Uh, you know, if I get a healthcare bill, the first thing I do is I set it aside. You know, I do not pay it right away because I have been trained by healthcare that insurance is going to pay and this probably isn't the right balance anyway, so I'm going to wait until they send me a new one. Now, if when I went to that provider, if they would have set that expectation of me that, you know, we will bill insurance, we will keep a form of payment method on file, and should anything come due that's your responsibility afterwards, we'll notify you and then we can just charge the payment method on file. But people aren't having those conversations. So one of the reasons that I can think of that that might be true, Jennifer, is that Providers might be afraid to ask their patients to leave a card on file or some form of payment on file because they're worried that they're going to get this pushback. They're dealing with people that are having health problems. They're in a vulnerable place. They're, they're not probably in a frame of mind where they want to talk about money. So I imagine that maybe they're getting some pushback from their patients. Is that part of this? The funny thing about that is one would assume that that would be the case, right? But... We have found that absolutely is not what's happening here. Providers are not witnessing pushback from their patients. Sure, they may have, you know, one disgruntled patient here or there. Maybe it's been a patient of, of their business for a few years and they're wondering why they're changing the policy, right? In that instance, you may have an upset patient. But nine times out of ten, we hear working with our providers that it's not the patients that are pushing back and it's not even... Uh, the referring physician, right? Because the referring doctor sent you the order and they got paid for, for their patient patient's visit. <laughs> yep. But what, we, what we're actually hearing is it's their own internal staff. Wait, and I, it's, it's the staff members internal to the, to the provider's business? Yes. And that astonishes me. Me too. Tell me more. <laughs> Providers are, you know, well, one, there's many things going on in, in the day-to-day and their their staff might be wearing multiple hats and, and maybe it's just something that they don't think they have time to do or they don't want to deal with the patient's um, objection of not putting a card on file. Uh, there could be a lot of things, but what, what we're finding is when you really break into the numbers of how many orders are coming in and how many have cards on file, we're finding that there's still upwards of, you know, 50, 60, 70% of these orders that are rental orders are coming in with no card on file. And that's because the, the staff is afraid of confrontation. They're afraid of changing. But in order for these businesses to survive, they absolutely must mandate that their staff form a strong collection policy. They can no longer let that equipment walk out the door without a form of what I call insurance on file. And, you know, Brian, I can't even go to that movie rental box that sits out of most, uh, you know, big box retailers. Oh, the red box, sure. Yeah, red box. Brian, I can't even go to a red box and rent a $1.50 movie without doing what? You have to swipe your card. 
I have to swipe my card. Because Redbox has realized that there's no way they're going to let that movie leave that box without some sort of committed payment. Because if I don't return the movie the next day, they're going to start charging me late fees. And I think healthcare has just, in general, been slow to adopt that process. We are seeing it more regularly in other aspects of healthcare. You know, for example, when I took my my son to his well child checkup before he started kindergarten, he was getting his kindergarten shots. Guess what they asked me to do? They wanted to see your card. They wanted a card on file. And I knew and they knew that these shots were covered, but they're setting the expectation with me as the patient or the, the caregiver, if you will, they're setting the expectation that if insurance doesn't cover it to everything, I will have to pay the balance. Okay. So if it's the employees and not the patients that providers are seeing pushback from when it comes to collecting a card on file and enforcing a, a policy surrounding that, Let's hear about some best practices that providers can use both to create those policies and make sure they're solid and then to translate those policies to their staff in a way that makes sense to them and in a way that makes them understand their importance and want to do their part to enforce them. Sure. So the first thing that I've, I've kind of already mentioned, um, but I'll just be very clear with it, is providers have got to set the tone of what their collections policy is going to be. And they have to do that internally first. That is absolutely the number one best practice I recommend. And anytime a provider comes to us and says, how can you help us collect more money? A lot of times they think that I have some magic secret sauce (laughs) that they may have been missing out on. And the only magic to a strong Uh, collections policy is setting that tone internally with your staff so that they all know that they're in this together to not let that money walk out the door. That is absolutely the first thing. And you have to train to that policy. And don't just train the billing department or just the intake department. You need to train the billing department, the intake department, the logistics department, anybody who has a communication or a chance counter with the patient should absolutely know that your business is going to collect money for services rendered, period. Okay. The next thing that I always recommend is providers have to have the tools in order for their staff to follow through with that policy. Because if I'm training them to take these cards and save these payment methods on file, if I don't, as the business owner, provide them with a secure and compliant and lockdown way to, to, to keep all this financial information, then their staff is not going to have the ability to do it, right? They're going to be like, well, so you told us to do it, but we don't have a place to save these cards. Long gone are the days, it should be anyway, are the days where their staff is writing down credit card numbers on a piece of paper or having the patient write it down on a piece of paper and securing that in a, in a cabinet. You absolutely cannot do that for security and compliance reasons. And believe it or not, that is still happening out in the market whenever I'm out visiting providers. Oh, my gosh. It, it's crazy. And so you really have to, as, as that business owner, you have to enable your team to do the work that you're asking them to do by providing them with the automated tools Uh, to keep those cards. And what I mean by automated is you don't, you shouldn't have to go set a calendar reminder every month to run 
Betty Jones's card for $50, right? That's kind of the dinosaur age way of doing sure. things. And there are tools a- a out there that allow this to be done automatically at the time that that balance is due. And so providers really need to look for automation tools. That's what exactly what my service does is it enables these providers the ability to securely store the payment methods and they will just intelligently run whenever those dates of service come due. And then your staff doesn't have to set manual reminders and they don't even have to do the work themselves. It just works automatically. Jennifer, I want to address the security and compliance issue that you brought up just a moment ago, because this is a message that VGM has been pushing to our members and to our customers a lot in recent days because of just how prevalent cybercrime is in our industry. So what is it exactly that an automated software, what should a provider be looking for in their automated solution to make sure that they are meeting their obligations under HIPAA and also keeping their patient information secure in such a way that it's not going to be taken by people who want to misuse it? So you remember the story that I had mentioned about taking my son to get his kindergarten shot? Mm-hmm. They asked me to fill out a form and write down my credit card number, the entire credit card information. And I pushed back kindly and I said, I I would rather not fill this form out. Is there another option? <laughs> and I was kind of testing her, right, in a very friendly way, but I wanted to see how she would respond. And she responded with, well, you can't see the doctor. I mean, your son is not going to be able to get his shots unless you fill this form out. And I said, well, if you have a supervisor or somebody I could speak to, I'm, I'm not opposed to giving you my card information. I'm just opposed to writing it down on this piece of paper. Sure. And so she went ahead and called the supervisor up, and the supervisor took me back to her office, and she said, I do have, we can put your card into our system here um, that is secure. If you want to give me your card number, I'll go ahead and take it down. And she did not have a pen or a paper or anything in front of her, and she actually, and I watched her, type it into her her system. So going back to the system that she was using, which is a a system that would be similar for our audience to use as well, you need to ensure that your staff is taking those card numbers and entering them into a PCI-compliant, secure, and encrypted system. You know, BPC works with a one of the largest merchant processors, and we don't actually store the card number because that is against PCI compliance. Rather, we're storing the token to the card. That token to the card is actually what is stored, not the card number. So it's important for providers to look to solutions wherein they can store the tokens versus the actual card number, and also very important that their team is not putting the card number in an Outlook reminder or a a task reminder in their software. It has to be stored securely and compliantly in a system. I did go out recently to a provider and was training them on this policy. They were ready to kick it off, and their billing person proceeded to pull down a three-ring binder off of her open shelf and page and page and page and page, hundreds of pages of written down card information. Oh, God. 
<laughs> and and after my heart skipped a beat. <laughs> yeah, this is the sort of thing that can get a provider shut down or put out of business real fast. <laughs> exactly. After after that, I just explained to her that we were going to take all of that information, we were going to store it into the system securely, and then we were going to shred that documentation. So it, it's just really important that the audience understands we are no longer living in the day and age where stuff can be stored the way it used to be. Security and compliance is gotten so strict, and and if providers are not adhering to those rules and regulations, you're right; it could shut them down. And so that is something that we absolutely will reinforce with a with a prospect or even a customer is that you have to make sure that your staff is not writing down that information on a post-it note when they're having the interaction. If it's with the customer or with the patient, when they're having that interaction with the patient on the phone. They should have the system pulled up so that they can enter that card information right into the system directly versus writing it down on a piece of paper. Jennifer, we're coming up on the end of our time. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. And so if you could distill this conversation down to, say, the top three things that you would like my listeners to take away from this conversation that you and I are having right now, what would those things be? Number one, it's okay to ask for a payment from your patient. The patients are actually going to expect to have to pay for something because they are being rendered a service or an offering. It's okay to ask for those payments. Number two, once the policy is established, you must enforce the policy. This is not a crockpot meal. You cannot just set it and forget it. You have to continue to massage the policy, tweak the policy as it pertains to your staff, as it pertains to your overall business. So once you determine that you are going to no longer let business walk out the door without collecting a form of payment or a form of, you know, insurance, if you will, with a card on file, then you have to stick to that policy. You have to adhere to that policy and you have to ensure your staff understand it. That, that really is the key to a successful collection policy. The last point then would be the data security of the patient's information. Your staff is handling very sensitive patient information as it pertains to their bank accounts. And if your patients don't feel that you're securing that in a lockdown environment and adhering to PCI compliance, then they're never going to trust that they can give you that form of payment on file. So knowing that you have a very highly secure and PCI compliant policy in place with how you're storing that card information, that would be the last takeaway I would ask providers to think about when establishing best practices. And Jennifer, if one of them has a question, if there's something that you've said while we've been talking that's that's piqued their interest and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this is my this is the reality that I live every day. You're right. I do have a lot of money walking out the door that I'm not collecting. I do have trouble getting my staff on board with the idea of having a card on file or having the conversation with my patients that I should have one. Jennifer, how do they get a hold of you so that they can ask those questions or get some good information so that they can get started right? Well, I'm, I'm around. <laughs> I, I usually am at Heartland. I, I do a, a speaking session at Heartland as well as at, at Medtrade. Um, I also appear here and there at the smaller state association. So 
hopefully if a provider is interested in really locking down their collections policy, they'll be able to find me uh, amongst the different state associations as well as um, Heartland and, and or Medtrade. If you're a Brighttree customer, though, it's, it's even easier. Just call up your Brighttree customer success manager. Um, they can also reach me by shooting me an email, my first initial last name, jleon at brighttree.com. Or they can also give us a call, my number, 913-744-3360, and ask to see a demo of our solution. Maybe we have a module or a tool that will help them establish a secure and strong uh, collection policy, and we're happy to share our services with them. Jennifer, speaking of MedTrade, MedTrade Fall is coming right up. Are you and Brighttree going to have a presence there? Yes, we will. We will have a booth, of course, on the exhibit hall, and I'm actually speaking there. I have two sessions this time around. Um, The first session is all around artificial intelligence and how that can help better a provider's just day-to-day workflow. And then the second session is really all about what we talked about today. Uh, The title of that session is Patient as a Payer and How Can Providers Shift their thinking to start collecting from patients as they do from all of their commercial payers. So hopefully some of your listeners can, if they're attending MedTrade, they can stop in and and check out those sessions. Well worth an hour of your time to check out these sessions, folks. This information is kind of the, the new paradigm, if you will, when it comes to making sure that you are getting paid for the products and services that you're providing and uh, staying in business so that you can continue to help patients to get better and feel better. So, Jennifer, I really appreciate you again taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.